Hey guys, it's Liz. What's going on guys? It's Dan. And this is Polos and Khakis. We have a new guest today. Yeah, today we welcome Luke Warnkin. Hopefully I said that correctly. You sure did. Awesome. Well, we're, uh, we're more than welcome to, happy to have you actually. A um, little background on Luke. He got his BS from Washburn University. He then went on to get his Master's in Human Health and Performance uh, from Canisius College in New York. And then he went on to PA school at Wichita State. And he's currently the Pediatric Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine Physician Assistant at Mary Bridge Children's Hospital in Tacoma, Washington, the good old Pacific Northwest. Welcome, Luke. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Big fan, and it's nice to, to be able to be a special guest with, with you guys. I think this is our first uh, PA we've had on the, our, uh, our podcast, so bravo to you. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, yep. I don't know. It might make me blush a little bit if uh, you tell me that. So. You're still an athletic trainer at heart, so it's no big deal. Always. So did you go straight from athletic training school into PA school, or did you work clinically for a bit before you made the transition? So for me, I wasn't quite sure necessarily what I was looking at doing. Uh, I had an older brother who was an athletic trainer actually at Creighton University. That's where he did his undergrad, and he went straight to physical therapy school and I kind of had looked into that. Um, I had two uncles who were athletic trainers in Western Kansas. One of them, Steve Barrett's actually, I'm pretty sure, a NATA Hall of Famer. So he's been around the block quite a bit. And he's the one who kind of helped get me in athletic training. And so I was debating about what to do. And I worked, I had graduated from Washburn. And I was actually working for a junior level hockey team there in the, uh, the North American Hockey League. Well, I was finishing up some prereqs, possibly looking at doing PA school or PT school. And then I was also coaching middle school football and basketball to kind of help, you know, occupy my time some. And then I took that year off and still really wasn't quite sure what I was hoping to do. And so I was offered a chance to become a grad assistant up at Canisius College. And Andy Smith up there is an awesome, awesome athletic trainer. He's got a lot of a lot of ends with people. And so I thought it was a cool opportunity. And Wanted to make sure that before I went any further, I kind of got my feet a little bit more wet and decide what route I really wanted. Did I, did I want to go more of the rehab route PT-wise, or did I want to kind of go more towards the surgical kind of diagnosing and treating route more more or less? So I, it was the best decision, honestly. I'm super glad I spent more years working as an athletic trainer and actually doing that as a clinician. And I think it wouldn't have... I wouldn't have transitioned near as well to becoming a PA had I not done that. I think it, the confidence you get being on your own and going out there and being a certified athletic trainer is night and day. You know, even as a student for three years, uh, it was definitely a huge, a huge decision, and I'm definitely glad I did it. I was actually kind of the opposite. I wanted to do PA school out of undergrad. Um, that just didn't work out. So took a couple years off, got my prereqs, and then went and got my master's at USF, met Liz. And uh, the rest is history. So I guess we have a roles reverse there. I guess we did. So you talked about going from your undergrad um, to your master's to PA school. Did you kind of have an advantage of not necessarily like the knowledge background you got from your master's and undergrad, but just kind of how to handle PA school in itself? Because I know my buddy's in PA school at Northwestern right now. He he kind of, you know, obviously you're going to have your struggles and stuff, but did you feel like you had an advantage over students that may have just went from undergrad to the master's program that you had kind of an idea of how to handle a master's program? 
I think it, it really did provide me with a lot of time management skills more than anything. Because when I was at Canisius, I was virtually working women's soccer and baseball as a full-time employee in a sense. It's a smaller men major where I didn't have necessarily a lot of oversight. It was kind of, I was the primary athletic trainer. So, and in Buffalo, both outside sports, most of the time of the year, it's snowing and cold. We were traveling a lot. So I had to learn how to do those master's classes. Most of them I had to end up kind of doing more online or kind of doing it on my own. while also doing the responsibilities about 40 hours a week of being an athletic trainer. And so I think going into PA school, I had a lot of kids who were straight from undergrad or they did a lot of volunteer work, but it is a lot different when you are also doing the clinical aspect. A lot of undergrad classes, yeah, you do labs and things, but you're not necessarily going and spending hours having to do, okay, I'm gonna go practice special tests today. I'm gonna work on knee stuff, or now I'm gonna go do my general medicine, listen to heart and lungs. So I think having those two years under my belt, or I mean, technically three years under my belt as a certified athletic trainer, really prepared me a lot better than some of my counterparts. Uh, even though, honestly, most of them are probably smarter than me in the long run. It just made life a little easier because I had some kind of a, a foundation to work off of. Hmm. Did you kind of know that you're going to go into ortho, like right off the jump, being an athletic trainer? You know, it's funny. Maybe I kind of lied to myself, but I told myself going into it, don't go straight into ortho. You never know. Maybe you'll like cardiology or maybe you'll like some other specialty. And lo and behold, the more I did it, it just happened. You know, I think the nice thing about orthopedics is it's tangible. I can go, I can see somebody get hurt. I go, okay. You know, the other day I'm watching the, the national championship receiver for Alabama goes, makes a catch. You can tell by the way he goes down, they slow mode it. You can say, oh, it's probably an ACL. When you could probably, I guarantee they probably felt the lock, but he didn't come back in. It's a national championship game. He's the best receiver. Chances are they found something on the sideline. And so I think that's one thing I really liked about ortho, orthopedics is I don't have to order a bunch of labs. I don't have to try to then go and do an ultrasound or do all that. So as much as I told myself, I probably was going to try to veer away from orthopedics, possibly. I love it. I do, it came back. There's a reason why I did athletic training. I loved it. Uh, orthopedics is super fun. I still get to do some of the general medicine type stuff still, you know, on the side. I get to listen to heart and lungs and things, but I wouldn't trade it for the world being in the orthopedic mm. realms the best. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely would see myself as an ortho. I feel like you probably had a leg up on ortho because you were essentially practicing as an ortho already, just at a different a different level. So Yeah, did you uh did you study at all during the ortho unit uh, during PA school? Uh, mostly because of the rheuma the rheumatology type stuff like juvenile uh -huh. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that type of stuff. I, I didn't get a lot of the background of it, like osteosarcoma, you know, and even then we barely touched upon like bone tumors and things. So mm -hmm. that stuff I had to learn a lot more, but yeah, the nice thing is when, whenever we were going through like special tests or like anatomy type things, it made my life a lot easier. I was able to watch a lot more, uh, sports games and kind of mm -hmm. sit back and relax a little bit more, uh, and not have to be so stressed out. So it was definitely a nice breather. But it also kind of brought me down a notch, too, and made me realize mm -hmm. that there's a lot of things I still didn't know. And so to not be too cocky and make sure I learn more. And you can always learn. That's the one thing mm -hmm. I'll definitely take away from that. Yeah. For sure. 
rheumatology was definitely something I did not consider as being part of orthopedics until I transitioned into the clinic full time. And like the amount of rheumatology labs I order is crazy, but like it happens way more frequently than I would have ever predicted before I had transitioned. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It is. And you don't, I never grouped rheumatology type things with it. And then all of a sudden it's like, thrown in there so i'm glad somebody else kind of realizes that that it's a lot different when you especially the i think the patient clientele sometimes most of your athletes don't necessarily have the like a, a lot of rheumatological issues so it is interesting when you start seeing some of those things when you're not used to it as an athletic trainer luckily i'm still in the uh college setting did you want to stay with orthopedics and peds or did you have uh the intent to go into um, ortho for adults. So I actually, I obviously wanted to get back into the college setting. I would still love to someday kind of be more around like the college athletes. So I, as much as I would love to do kind of work with pro athletes and stuff, I think there's a little bit different dynamic when you work with, with pro athletes. I have a few buddies who've uh, done internships with like the Buffalo Bills and New, New England Patriots and that type of stuff. So I've kind of been able to get a little bit of a vicarious lifestyle through them. But I used to coach a lot. You know, I had two younger siblings that I had coached growing up. And so it was not unreasonable for me um, to kind of look at the peds route. I actually didn't even apply for this job, to be honest with you, originally. They had an orthopedic job at the same company uh, that I multi-care. And they, they basically got back to me like, well, you know, we actually decided to offer this to somebody else. Uh, they have a little bit more surgical experience. And then the recruiters like, you have a lot of experience with kids. I had this orthopedic job with, you know, at a pediatric hospital. Would you be interested? I was like, yeah, I love working with kids. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, so she's like, oh, I'll give me a resume. And then out of, I don't even know how many people, they're crazy enough to pick me to, for the job. And so, you know, here being a brand new uh, grad out of PA school. And I love, I love it. Honestly, that was the big reason I came to this hospital. We were really looking to expand our reach in sports medicine. And so, especially with COVID going on, sports got shut down quite a bit in the state of Washington. But our big thing was there's a lot of kids in our area that are, um, you know, state funded. So like a lot of Medicare, Medicaid type areas. Uh, And so there's a lot of rural kids, you know, everybody talks about there's Seattle, but once you go south of Seattle, you start kind of branching out. It's not really a big city area. It's kind of like you go to, you know, Illinois, people outside of Chicago forget that there's a whole nother state that's (laughs) mostly farmland. And that was our big reach. And that's really what they kind of brought me into was to try to help branch that out. And so we have an affiliation with one of the uh, clinics around here that does, they have like, I think 18 or 19 physical therapy spots and they hire a bunch of athletic trainers. And so that's really been my push is trying to bring sports medicine to a lot of younger kids. I hurt my shoulder. I'm your cliche. I got hurt, partially torn rotator cuff. I was a quarterback, although not a very good one. Um, so I was constantly throwing. I was playing basketball. I was playing baseball. My arm went out. I got a cortisone shot, told to sit out for two months, came back. Orthopedic surgeon goes, looks good. You can go back, do whatever. So my big thing is there's, I feel like a lot of kids just don't get good guidance. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm trying. That's really my big push um, is from my standpoint is how do I, as a PA, be able to give, especially the kids of the South Sound, in the Sound area, 
good guidance to get them back to playing because that's what they want. Most of these kids want to go out to play, you know, and how do I do that besides take here's two weeks of rest, here's a pee, you know, you can't do run or jump. I'll see you back in two weeks. Okay, now you're released, you're cleared, bye. Here's, that was a great 10-minute conversation. So that's what I've, I've really tried to kind of improve upon, and that's really my goal as a PA is how do I kind of bridge that gap between the physical therapy or like the athletic training world and providing younger kids who don't necessarily maybe have a high school athletic trainer or maybe they're, they're still eight years old and they don't have anybody to kind of guide them. Yeah. I feel like every athletic trainer, every physical therapist knows you don't go from nothing to full return to play and – one doctor's visit like you can't just rip the band-aid on that one so um i've i've seen that a lot with some of our kids that we tell them like we need you to gradually work back into things but when they leave the clinic there's nobody to tell them what that looks like and their parents sure as heck don't know their coaches don't know and i think that's a under recognized part of where the discontinuity of care comes in that like even if you have orthopedic PAs and doctors around if there's no one to bridge the gap between your doctor's visits at two weeks four weeks six weeks and eight weeks then you know it's not it's not a great system (laughs) no and I and I think that's a tough one there's some places where it's nice because um, like when I grew up in Western Kansas, one of the big things my uncle uh, Steve Barrett did, and I really try to use him as kind of uh, like a, a sounding post of what can I do to help bring what basically they started in Western Kansas is, you know, the orthopedic surgeon worked with all these athletic trainers, and these athletic trainers were working in the clinic too, and they were the ones going out into high schools and doing the outreach. So there's always kind of a, a lot more of a continuity of care where you could see each other's medical notes, all that type of thing to basically kind of avoid that. And unfortunately we just have a very small physical therapy clinic on our hospital. And a lot of what they treat is more, you know, cases like cerebral palsy, those type of things, mm-hmm. not that they're not capable of doing uh, ACL rehab or those things, just not that we don't have a high enough volume necessarily to send to them. So it is, and I had no idea how difficult that was kind of, branching the two together of doctor's office or PA's office, wherever it is to, you know, a PT clinic or an athletic trainer or whatever the return to play kind of area is. So the more I do, I do this job, the more I'm a little frustrated with kind of just how, how do I fix that? And so the one thing I like about following, you know, podcasts like this, or just being able to kind of follow other clinics and ATs and stuff is, trying to feed off of them of what can I do to bring to my hospital. Mm. I think a lot of people just kind of think that, Oh, like I'm just going to go to the doctor. They want that quick fix. Um, you know, they don't, you know, they come see me or, you know, a physical therapist say, Hey, like we're going to have to do these, these exercises for X amount of time. They're like, eh, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to go to the doctor and get, you know, prescribe something and then I'll be on my way. So, you know, they get that quick fix, but they don't, you know, kind of actually, solve the solution that's actually bothering them so i think that's kind of just the i think the mishap it's like you kind of said the continuity of care where you know we kind of get lost in the shuffle that way where they don't that's not they don't trust us they just don't want to you know put in that work and actual effort to get better and i think we lack advocacy consistently through orthopedic doctors that some physicians don't really recognize the value of athletic trainers or physical therapists and Oh, I have, there's one physician who will remain nameless 
who um, is notorious for writing whatever clearance note you tell him he they, that you need. And they're like even patients that he is not responsible for. If you want a clearance note, you know you can go to this guy and he'll write you a clearance note. Doesn't matter what your athletic trainer says. Doesn't matter what any other provider you've seen says. You're good to go. And so I feel like that makes it harder also when you know that you've got an option down the road. That means you don't have to do two weeks worth of rehab or a graded return to play after a concussion or whatever it is because you know you have the option to just see a doctor who doesn't really care about the the in-between and is going to let you go, you know? Mm-hmm. No, that, that's kind of funny that you say that because when I first came up here, people were laughing like, why do you keep trying to put ATC at the end of your, your name? Like we use the Epic uh, electronic medical records and they won't, I call, they won't let me put it in because it's not considered, I'm considered a PA. So that's not necessarily mm-hmm. considered a big deal. So like, I'm always writing it in. I'll, I'll sign, whenever I sign, I put it on there and they're kind of like, well, why do you keep putting that? It's like, well, I spent years doing it. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it, I'm trying to really push, even though I'm a PA now, I'm trying to really push for, for athletic training advocacy, because like you said, a lot of places don't know what we do. Most of the people I told them I was an athletic trainer, a lot of my medical assistants, you know, a lot of people in the OR, like the, like the nurse and stuff, a lot of them don't know what, what we do. They have, I mean, mm-hmm. one of the, a lot of them crack up, oh, so you can get me, help me get fit. And I was like, well, I can, but that's because my master's, not because <laughs> of, of an athletic trainer. And so I do, I still do the thing. I, I still go with the five domains and I pull out, you know, that like the, we have a bachelor's degree, well, now master's degree and all that. So I still nerd out sometimes. I'll always be an athletic trainer at heart, but I definitely do that. And I, I put sports med now on a lot of my stuff and because it is you know it's that's my passion that's my goal and there is a lot of that where a lot of my coworkers now are like okay this kid wants to get cleared i'm gonna have them come back and follow up with you in two weeks just because i don't you know i'll let you deal with what they're allowed to go do because it is there's these conversations of what can i weightlift what kind of weightlift can i do or am i allowed to do this activity and all that so it is a little bit more of a conversation that it's easy in the clinic to kind of bypass for a lot of people because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, that's not really my, my area of expertise. I'm here to say your fracture is healed. You can return to activities. I don't really know. Like, you know, I try to sit down and go, okay, we, what kind of closed chain activities, what kind of open chain are, are we allowed to start off with, you know, high rep, low weight? Like that's the kind of stuff that I really try to sit back and, and think through a little bit more, but it is. A lot of people just say, you look healed return to activities. Here's a clearance note. We ha- I know we have a generic one that it's two senses and that's basically mm-hmm. what it says. And then we hand those out a lot more than unfortunately I'd like to admit. So yeah. I think we kind of need more people like yourself, you know, going ATC, then to PA school to again, more advocacy. I mean, you kind of actually let people know what we do. Um, not that we don't want you to lead our profession, but I think it's good for <laughs> to people to understand that, Hey, like this is what we can do. You know, this is what we can work in basically any type of setting. Um, and then just being able to portray that to multiple people, especially in a hospital, you know, nurses, you know, physicians and, and everyone else that works around you. Yeah. I also think that people kind of gloss over the fact that athletic needs are different than non-athletic needs, even in an ortho setting, you know. So I had a conversation this actually probably just yesterday in the clinic that we had um, an athlete coming in. He had a meniscus repair. He's... I guess 10 weeks out now and normally by 10 weeks we're not ordering 
any more physical therapy for that type of patient for that type of surgery because for the average person you've been doing six weeks of physical therapy like you're good to go but this particular kid wants to go back and throw a discus in the spring semester and I I said like you need to order him another at least another four weeks of physical therapy because he hasn't done any lateral motion at physical therapy nothing with twisting like you can't send that kid back out to throw discus and be like he's far enough out good to go and I think that's another one of those values of athletic trainers that like, sure, on paper, you've achieved the the recovery standards. But did you ask him like what sport he does? Because that does make a difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and no, I agree. And we have, which I guess I, I wasn't near as um, accustomed to because I'm mean, obviously from Kansas and now I move up here. It's a huge gymnastics area. Well, we get a lot of kids who get hurt doing gymnastics. You know, I get a lot of these eight, nine, 12 year old kids getting hurt. Well, most of them, they, they land awkwardly, break a wrist or something along those lines. And I'm like, well, how do I get you back to doing gymnastics where literally 90% of that involves your arm of some sort? And that is, it's, it's a tough thing. of You have to kind of sit down and think through it a little bit differently than, oh, here's an eight-year-old kid or five-year-old kid who broke their wrist. They're just trying to get back to playing on a, on a jungle gym again. They just want to be able to jump off a couch because that's what kids do. So it is completely different thought process. And so I, I, I like the fact that the athletic training background kind of helps me think a little bit differently. I look at a lot of things from a rehab perspective. That I think some of my counterparts don't. But at the same time, they bring a lot of things like I'm you know, not near as accustomed to the fracture stuff or some of those things that are from different realms. So I think everybody can bring something to the table and learn from each other. It's just, are you wanting to learn? And then how do we kind of go out and use that interdisciplinarily, if I can say that word correctly, uh, with other clinics or whether it's PTs or ATs or chiropractors, whoever it is, that's part of that medical umbrella. What are the uh, what are the gymnastics parents like when you when they bring them in? Are they pretty like, hey, like this girl needs to be back in two weeks, or are they pretty, you know, understanding of your protocols? Depending on who they are, they, we do get a lot of elite gymnasts, and, and we get just a lot of kids who are who are athletes that are really trying to get back to their sport very quickly. What's nice about up here, though, is it rains quite a bit. But there's still a lot of chances for kids. We have a lot of like year-round soccer. I will say that's probably the, the one that I see the most is year-round soccer kids who, okay, I understand what you're telling me, but what's my timeline? I signed up for a tournament. We already paid. This is, you know, down in Northern California in a month. What are we thinking? Like, I get that quite a bit. Uh, baseball is another one that's really popped up here year-round, you know, and so um, – it's it's tough. We definitely have some parents who I look at and I go, I'm going to tell you, if you decide to go against my what I tell you, I get it. I'm going to put my note to cover myself. But, you know, I understand if you feel like you can go back and you feel it OK, you, you know, ultimately it is up to you. But I would tell you not to. So that's all I can do is I just try to tell people as best as I can. Um, ACLs are a perfect example. A lot of people are like, well, it's six months. I feel perfect. Okay, but research shows us that from, you know, at least from what I've read and a lot of stuff, it really takes about nine months for that graft to really heal, to really be where you're not going to have possibly long-term issues. But LSU football guy came back in five months. You know, like those are things, you, you know, that I know when a parent comes in and starts spouting off like, 
case studies or like research, I'm like, okay, they know either one, you know, they have some medical background or they're really just, they're trying to do what they can to get the kid back. And so all I can do is try to stay up to date, text a lot of people who are smarter than me and be like, Hey, here's what I got going on. Try to help me out here. So, um, I do that a lot. I reach out to a lot of like old physical therapists. I reached out. Um, I had one of the buddies who was working for the jets, uh, as an intern this last year. And I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, am I up to date on my shoulder stuff? Like, let me know, like, what are some of the things that you guys are doing up there just to make sure that, yeah, yeah, my kids aren't say pro athletes, but can I make sure that they still can do, get good rehab that, um, you know, is, is helpful. And obviously no HIPAA stuff, like, you know, it's, what are you doing for your quarterback type stuff? It's just like, what are some of those type of things? So uh, I try to stay up to date. And if I don't know anything, I always ask somebody smarter as best I can. I think a lot of parents don't realize that the LSU guy that came back in five months, like that was his job. Yeah. So he was probably getting after it two, three times a day where their kid goes to school and then maybe does rehab for like 45 minutes to an hour or so. They're not on the same wavelengths. Yeah. And that's always a hard thing. You don't have like a cold level laser. You don't have a, a treadmill that basically takes away all your body weight or, you know, a nice little hydro pool. Like, and that's the hard thing is trying to tell them all that type of stuff. Yeah, and it's easy to compare a lot of that. I, I think we saw it a lot a couple of years ago, back when I was on athletic training, Michael Phelps syndrome. Everybody wanted cupping. It was the cool thing mm-hmm. to do. And now you see people who cut, like, like they come in, they have 20 bruises on their back. It's like, well, I bought a cupping thing on Amazon for 20 bucks. I do it all the time now. And it's like the same idea. It's like it helped Phelps, but doesn't mean, you know, anything can be helpful and anything can be harmful as long as mm-hmm. that's why I think it's imperative my big fear is I'm starting to see a lot of athletic trainers get very frustrated. I think COVID has kind of put a hamper on any, like any healthcare professional, but I am starting to see a lot of athletic trainers who are kind of trying to get out of it, especially with, you know, it's like, why deal with the hassle when you don't get, I think a big one's pay, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's like, that's the hard thing is the, some of the frontline people are the people like to kind of help combat some of this, you know, let's cup every day are the people who are, are getting burnt out. Yeah. I feel like I see it with our our nurses quite a bit too. Like the people who are your first line of defense are the ones that you pay the least and are probably like the most useful in terms of triaging and just like nipping things in the bud. That could be a simple conversation. And um, I think it's going to come back to bite healthcare in the butt one of these days that they're going to realize like, oh, dang, we should have treated our people better. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Actually, Hopefully it's uh, not the case, but I'm actually reading a book and it's, this may sound cliche, but it's like in the heat of battle at the end of the, at the end of the day, like the pawn and the king go back in the same box. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like leave your ego at the door and just kind of work together and figure it out. Like, you know, I think you need to treat everyone the same and you know, obviously, you know, a nurse may not get paid as much as a physician, but like they still need deserve the, the treatment and the care that, you know, everyone else does. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, I think the whole idea of what was nice is through undergrad and like some of the PA school and all that, there's a lot of, we did a lot of the, um, we would meet like speech pathologists or we would meet with, you know, other groups like occupational therapy or PTAs. So that way you kind of got used to what everybody else did. But I think the idea of creating a healthcare team is, is definitely vital. Um, 
this is going to sound, you know, kind of lame, but we didn't have a nurse. When I first came here, our clinic didn't have, we were like the only one who didn't have an RN out of like every children's orthopedic hospital. We just didn't have one. We had it, it happened a couple of years ago, our RN left, they got burnt out. And we, because of, I think finances and stuff with COVID or just whatever it was, we never had one. And so we finally hired an RN and it's been night and day. Like, it's amazing mm-hmm. how, all of those, you know, even from the standpoint of just answering phone calls or being able to get back to, to families right away who are like, hey, my kid just got surgery two days ago. Is this normal? You know, mm-hmm. and they're able to send pictures, whereas unfortunately I may be in the OR or my you know, I may be in clinic seeing 24 patients today. That used to be something that we would always handle. And I feel bad, like I would be getting back to these parents sometimes three days later, unfortunately, mm-hmm. just because it was, or I'm going to be at work for 12 hours every day and I'm going to be burnt out. And so just having somebody who helps create that healthcare team, I think that's the big thing I like to push is it is. It's a healthcare team. I joke all the time. I'm just there for bad jokes and moral support. My surgeons <laughs> do all the work. I just retract things and I say, looks good. I'll make sure that they look good in two weeks and I'll tell you. you know. But I, I think everybody, as long as you know your role and you're willing to kind of, like you said, you go back in the box and then at the end of the day, it's just making sure it's a healthcare team. And so I think that's a huge thing that I can also push for. I have um, some curiosity about how different you have to approach your patients that are young. So like your eight, your nine, your 10 year olds to me, I mean, most of my knowledge is like 13 and on. So do, do you have to treat those patients really differently at that age? Oh, huge learning curve. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, my name badge now has a Captain America. Uh, my scissors that I use to like help cut <laughs> splints or cast. I have another one that has uh, Iron Man. I have the Hulk. So that way, like, because all these kids are scary. So, you know, as I'm kind of you know, working on and cutting away their splint to look at their, their arm after surgery or after a fracture, I let them they sit there and they'll play with the, the Spider-Man. Or um, I don't know how much, I, my scrubs, a lot of times I bright brighter scrubs like I think I have a pair of salmon color scrubs that I get a hard time for all the time but I, I guess I, I do I try to do things a little bit more friendly I, I bought um, shoes that are a little bit more vibrant like I think one of my shoes has kind of got streaks of orange and different colors of blue and it, surprisingly it's been easier for kids like you know I go in I'm pulling up their x-rays and we talk to them and it is like oh those are cool shoes you know you just try to not intimidate a four-year-old girl as best as you can Mm -hmm. and i have to be careful the words i use like numbness and tingling to you and i is completely different to what a five-year-old's gonna Mm -hmm. think and so i do i have to really think like a young kid um sometimes i do find myself talking a lot differently like oh how are you or you know and that type of thing so it probably looks a little funny at times but it's a lot different world than dealing with like a, a 610 college basketball player who I can use a lot of different language with because he's a, you know, bio major versus a four-year-old girl who just looks at me like, I don't want this guy to touch my eye. He just hurts. I don't know. I still find myself talking to my college athletes like that. Like they're, you know, six, seven-year-olds sometimes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they deserve it. It is warranted. I won't fault you there at all. There's definitely (laughs) times where you're like, do I need to, like, thumb this down? What part of we need you to rest are you not understanding? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So – and I'm sure those uh, salmon cover or salmon color scrubs go great in the uh, when it rains all the time in, in Tacoma. <laughs> uh, maybe I don't know. I, I never would have thought I would own a pair of basically pink scrubs, but uh, it, 
I get a lot of like the kids love it. I do get a lot of a lot of uh, parents who chuckle about it. You know, seeing a grown man wearing salmon colored scrubs, and but I think it makes them feel a little more relaxed. So if that's if it works, I'll continue to embarrass myself weekly. You gotta have a bright spot in the day, and if that's pink scrubs, then that's pink scrubs. It's the little things in this world. You're not gonna be you're not gonna be remembered as the PA. You'll be remembered as the cool guy in the salmon scrubs and the and the cool shoes. You know, it's funny to say that I actually so I have this kid who's we did surgery on and he's he's autistic and uh, it's funny because he doesn't want to talk like I cannot get the kid to talk. But I walked in, he goes, "Oh, you're the guy with the shoes." <laughs> That's how he remembers me. Doesn't remember my name. Doesn't remember anything else. He just remembers me as the guy with the shoes. And I was like, "Hey, it works." Mm. I wonder what it is with patients and shoes because I get comments on my shoes all the time. And don't get me wrong, I love my shoes. I've got my they're like nobles and they've got like this nice palm tree sunset on the bottom so objectively they're awesome shoes but i never anticipated like 50 percent of my patients in a day say something about my shoes i had a patient's daughter walk her mom out to the car and then walk back into the office so i could write down the name of the shoe brand on a sticky note for her like i wonder what it is that makes patients notice provider shoes so much it's like a recurring thing I've I've noticed. So Dan's obviously got a sweet hat collection. Are you? Do you mm. rock the shoes? Do you have? Are you one of those guys too? I do. I do own a couple pairs of Nobles. Uh, I I have to keep up with the college kids. You know, I got to look good when I go into the when I go into work. <laughs> That's fair. Got to rock. The, I'm all about the accessories. You know. Hey, Roy Williams last year before he retired, he was still rocking like Air Force, yeah. you know, Jordan. So you can never be too old to to stay in style, I guess. That's my plan. He had, his school is like, you know, the Jordan capital of the world. So he can just be like, yeah, I want to wear those shoes. Like, yeah, sure. For free. Here you go. Why I would not? have to pay like 600 bucks for those. So. Oh, yeah. He, he hasn't made it. I, will, I will, can't argue that one one bit. I do miss being able to wear hats, though. Like, that was the awesome thing. Mm-hmm. I could rock different hats and all that. So I guess you could have a little bit more personality with, with the hats. But now I'm kind of stuck wearing scrubs. Although my scrub caps, I make sure to rock all my teams out. So. I at least get to do that. Yeah, since I can't wear a hat, I just got to wear good shoes. So it kind of balances out. <laughs> That's fair. So how does your – I mean, we, I feel like we kind of touched on it, but like how does your athletic training background help you be a better PA? And then kind of on the flip side, what did you learn in PA school that you think would help you know an athletic trainer you know be a better uh, clinician? So I'll, I'll kind of answer that first one. I think what helped me is I didn't get a lot of casting. We did – I mean – maybe two hour lecture in PA school on, oh, here's how you cast basically, or here's how you kind of put on splints. And so from my standpoint, it's kind of nice because you think about it, I've been doing thumb tape jobs and thumb spike tape jobs for how many years? And casting material is a lot like tape job. You know, the tape, the tape a lot of times, it's going to lie how it wants to lie. Contours don't lie, angles don't lie. And casting is a lot of that's a very similar way. And so I think it's made my transition into, into doing casting a lot easier or splinting because it's a lot of things that you do in athletic training that uh, yeah I, I kind of glossed over I never would have thought about it how intricate casting can be I mean it's not just not all cast around sometimes you, you move and you push into the cast to make sure a fracture doesn't move but I think that's definitely been a huge thing for me is that learning curve of casting has been a lot easier than I think some of my counterparts because I'm like, I just started doing hip spike casts where I'm putting these little kids in these giant hip spike casts 
you know, these like two year old kids. And it's, by the way, feels so bad. They like trying to watch them walk or, you know, that type of thing. But it's like doing a hip tape job. Like, okay, you know, we're going to leave them in hip flexion. All right. I've done that. I do this in the H rap every day of my life for the last six years. So it is kind of nice. Cause like you think about that um, from that standpoint, as far as kind of vice versa, what I would try to tell athletic trainers, um, you know, from my, now that I've learned it in PA school, I think, you know, there's a lot of value to a good physical exam for general medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned a little bit about how to listen to hearts. Um, and I learned a little bit about, you know, kind of looking at the back of the throat, looking for those type of things or looking through an ear. But, I mean, I really did it. And so something I would tell somebody is if you're, especially if you're a new AT, do those. Like, there's nothing wrong with taking 10 seconds and listen to a heart sometimes if you want to. Like, if your kid's actually, you know, sick and kind of build some of those skills just for the fact that, for one, it you it helps you as a provider or, you know, kind of, you, you do the full gamut. You do the prevention, you do the diagnosing, you do the treatment, you do all that. So I think that's kind of a, a, something that, looking back, I would have really liked to know of. Um, pharmacology, I think is really helpful if you kind of understand a lot of those especially in my realm where we get kids who, you know, look with asthma medicines and all that type of stuff. We went over a little bit, but I didn't really, I think, stick to my mind near as much. Um, but it's funny, Dan, that you asked that because I was thinking that same thing earlier. I was like, you know, what if I could go back, what would I tell an athletic, athletic trainers? Because honestly, I would love to go back and, and do some teaching. I got to do be a preceptor and I would love to go back and help teach either athletic training courses or, you know, PA courses. And so that's something I've been trying to think about what I would tell an athletic trainer um, to really help them out. I think imaging too. Don't be afraid. I mean, ask to see an x-ray, ask to see an MRI. That way you kind of know what it looks like because it is cool. And I think it makes you, you understand things a little bit more. Like I could tell you how to do Lockman's, but we don't always get to be in surgery as an athletic trainer. So getting a chance to kind of see, okay, here's really how the ACL moves and here's how the PCL you see that black spot? That's where the ACL is supposed to be, or that type of stuff. I think that's kind of another cool thing is, is learning about some of those things. So then you kind of have more of an idea of it. Mm-hmm. I'll have to ponder that one a lot more. It's a very good mm-hmm. question. Yeah, I've been saying that for like the past couple of weeks, actually, because I actually have uh, one of my soccer players. He tore his ACL, and he had his surgery. And we looked at his MRI, and I, I was talking to his mom, and I was like, listen, like, I kind of understand what an MRI looks like. I know like where everything's supposed to be and how it's supposed to look, but you know, I'm not a radiologist. I'm not a physician who's been trained to like read these things. So, um, yeah, I think it would just be cool to, even if it's just like a kind of like a continue, a continuing ed course, just like a imaging one oh one. just like, okay, like on a knee, this is what it should look like normally when it doesn't, this is what's wrong and things like that. I think it would just kind of help us be like, okay, like before you go see the doc, this is what we're looking at. You know, here's my opinion actual opinion based on you know what my knowledge is of that of that scan mm-hmm. I, I think it makes athletic trainers look even more valuable when you have you you I mean, how many times do you go okay i know this acl is gone i i guarantee that lockman's positive they go lo and behold it's gone i think it just kind of adds a little bit more um credibility when you, you're you can even do a little bit more but at the same time we also need to be paid more to kind of mm-hmm. learn more some more of those things Sure. I was in the clinic one day and I was talking with one of our outreach athletic trainers. One of her kids was coming in to see us because ACL, she's like, 
the Walkmans, just no end point. That, what, it's gone. It's gone, gone. And so I have pulled up his images and I fortunately have had an opportunity to work with physicians and physician assistants who uh, have gone through a lot of imaging with me and I like reading imaging. And so we were just scrolling through it and I was like, oh, oh, and you could just, oh, it was crystal clear even on the imaging, gone. And the medical assistant sitting next to me turned around and said, wait, you guys know how to look at those? And I was like, yes, this is why you need athletic trainers and orthopedics, because it makes it so much easier to explain to a kid what's going on or to be able to brief a physician or a PA before they go into a room and just be like, here it is. Call it a day. Move along. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I, I tried when I first came here. I was, I was trying to push because we didn't, like I said, we didn't have a nurse. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what can we do? You know, if it's a money thing, unfortunately, most athletic, tra- athletic trainers may be a little cheaper, or, but I was like, well, what, you know, I looked at Cleveland Clinic. I'm pretty sure they, you know, they have certain ways they use their athletic trainers. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I can do when I first got here to kind of help bridge that gap. But yeah, it's like life would be a lot easier. I walk in, you know, an athletic trainer comes in. Yeah, by the way, they're here for knee pain. I went ahead and I just took a quick look. Pretty sure the ACL's gone. I'm like, okay, perfect. Now I'll in my MRI right now. I, I get, you know, I trust most athletic trainers. You've, you've done it for years, you know, too. So it definitely would. And it bridges the gap a lot more than I mean, I love my, my medical assistants, my ortho techs, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I think having that, that background of an athletic trainer and having some of that actual diagnostic uh, education changes the mm-hmm. game so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you have a patient that comes in and points at their joint line and says it hurts right here and it clicks and it hurts when I go up and down the stairs, I can walk out of that room and say, order the MRI. It's a meniscus. You know, if you don't have that that knowledge or that experience, then, like, you're just going to hear those things and they got to start from scratch when they walk in the room and start their history all over again. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's probably more enjoyable for you, too. You know, mm-hmm. you get to go in and you still get to use that knowledge and you still get to feel like you, you do a little, you're still doing part of the, the assessment or part of the diagnosing. And I think that mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier than... Um, just feeling like you're just in the clinic to room patients and basically take vitals and write notes, you know, I think you probably enjoy it a lot more and this still makes you kind of think and go through that critical process and good old differential diagnosis that we, we have to learn. <laughs> I think as I thought chair, my differential list just gets smaller and smaller. I kind of just have to like make things up. Because, like, in grad school, it's like, oh, like, give me the actual diagnosis and then write, like, four or five differentials. And then now it's like, I'll give you two or three. And I'll give you one just for, like, safe measure. But I'll fall uh, I'll fall victim to that. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't, believe me, it doesn't get any better. I went to PA. Like, athletic training, we always had. You have, you have to have at least five differential diagnoses. And then, like, I went to PA school. It's like, well, now we have to have ten. And then there's, like, little conditions that you never think about. But our professor is like, well... They did have this one symptom, so you can't rule this out just in case. And it's like, all right. And then, lo and behold, that was never the condition. But it was like, well, we just have to throw it in there. And so you're, you're gonna, we're going to subtract a point because you didn't think about this very obscure one. And I was like, all right. That one time it actually pops up, it's like, oh, yeah, it was that. And you're like, well, now I'm going to start putting it. <laughs> all right. Now we're in an episode of House or Grey's Anatomy, and I'm pulling out the most random thing ever. But... <laughs> Oh, wow. Dan, you'll attest to this. We had the most random gen med final assessment when we were in grad school. It was 
so infuriating but it was like you said in our professor's mind they were like well you have to consider all the things like why didn't you think about this randomly obscure disease that we have never talked about before and it's just like well okay then and now I have like PTSD and every time somebody tells me like there's a slight facial droop my mind immediately goes to myasthenia gravis it has nothing to do with it but like that's the only thing I can think of now traumatic I, as soon as my standardized patient said that, I was like, uh, we need neuro here like, uh, yesterday. Because <laughs> <laughs> this guy's about to go down and I'm not going to know what to do. That's when you do the, the good old, like, the bullpen, you know, two yeah. fingers on the arm. Can I, can I get a reliever? I'm a little bit out of my... <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because, like, we go in, like, these standardized rooms where, like, there's a mirror and, like, we can't see through the mirror, but our professors can see on the other side. I think that's when I would just turn around and be like, yeah, we, we, we need someone in here. Or they have the little video camera up in the corner so they can, like, watch the tape yeah. back. Yeah. Just start waving yeah. to it or something. Yeah. Yeah. My patient my patient never told me that they had facial drooping. But it was just never a thing that yeah. was discussed or brought up. And, like, obviously in a simulated environment, I can't see that they have facial drooping. So I'm pretty sure I put, like, mono on my on my differential diagnosis, I was like, maybe they just got a viral that was, infection. <laughs> that was my initial thing because my patient was like, yeah, I'm tired. I like kind of lost a little bit of weight. I'm like, yes, mono, I'm going to get mono, it Mono, right. easy. <laughs> no. And then I, I literally kind of like what Liz said because Liz and I were like, we went at the same time. I asked her or I asked my patient, I was like, hey, like, is there anything else you want to tell me before like, you know, we kind of wrap things up? And he's like, yeah, like sometimes like the left side of my face kind of droops and my head just like my jaw just kind of like drops. uh, (laughs) Okay, that's obviously not normal. Um, And then I went out and told Liz and she's like, what? Like my my patient didn't tell me that. And I was like, oh, well, like, did I like miss something or like did they hear them wrong? I don't know. I think the consistency of our standardized patient was was kind of the issue. Yeah. And that happens no matter what you do with it, unfortunately. But, hey, at least it's a condition. Hopefully you'll never miss it the one time you maybe ever see it. Yeah, exactly. The the 1% chance that I have a patient with myasthenia graphs, I'm going to know it right away. <laughs> That's funny. Well, part of that, it's a very interesting thing to randomly give as a standard diet. I think that – I think their logic was, like, we don't want them to actually know what it is because mm-hmm. – we just want them to write down as many differentials as possible. Yeah. To kind of have the thinking of, oh, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, or it could be this. The intent so was for us yeah. to fail, but do a good job at failing. Correct. Okay. That's fair. Shout out well, to the USF like Athletic Training Program if they are listening to this, though. <laughs> yeah, but like I would like to voice my complaint that I enjoy being right and to give me a test where I was never going to be right. Not a fan. Not a fan. I don't know what's worse than that or the uh, check all that apply that just always go through. Here's a list of like eight different things. But if you click the wrong one, then you lose two points. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're better off just not guessing as much. Yeah. Just don't click any. Yeah. On my, my board exam, I had the first 15 questions were three different scenarios. Each were with questions with check all that apply. And I was just sitting there just kind of like, this is going to be a long day if this is going to be what it all is. But luckily I got through it. But those check all that applies, you get like the first three. And then there's always one or two that's like, okay, well, like, do I check both of them? Do I check one of them? Do I check neither of them just to be safe? It's just, it's very stressful and confusing. Oh, yeah. I do not. And especially because like they'll start off with a scenario 
So then it's like, well, I kind of think I'm supposed to go this way. But then, of course, they have like three or four follow-up questions. So mm -hmm. if you mess up that first one, you're already just like, well, now we're just in it. Let's figure it out. And so, <laughs> yeah, then you get to start getting that by the end of it, you have to just check all that apply. And it's like, I'm just going to go. I'm not completely sure. I'm going to go less is more. The, uh, the good old Charmin Ultrasoft guess. <laughs> I know these two are for sure. All right. Luke, what is the craziest injury that you have seen? Luckily for me, being in Peds Ortho, I don't see anything too too crazy as far as injury. I do see some really interesting, like congenital stuff. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of like spine surgery for like scoliosis and um, some of those things. So I think from my standpoint. Those are really interesting for the fact that, um, you know, we, we're taking pieces of bone out. We're, like, altering the way, you know, like, you valgum or whatever uh, for knees and doing all these back things. But one of the really cool ones I saw when I was in uh, my um, ED rotation in PA school is a kid, like, is your classic, took a fastball right to the eye, like a 14-year-old kid. Um, globe just like ruptured and he comes in and I mean you could just, it was like everything that you could check that all that applied he <laughs> felt to like every single one of them and so that was just absolutely like that was an interesting one I felt so bad though that kid I'm pretty sure never got I think his eye was gone at, at that point I don't think he ever um, was gonna ever regain sight but that was a really interesting one knock on wood most of the injuries I've dealt with have never really been too too crazy um and that's one thing I like about Pete's Ortho is I also don't have to worry about my patients dying. Um, and mm. some of those things, it's like, okay, most of the ones that come in when I'm on call are going to be, oh, kid fell off a monkey bars. He broke his arm. Now we got to go put a couple plates in there and fix it. So, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I to, I'm still trying to think what's a really, really just terrible injury that I've seen. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask you guys real quick. You guys tell me first, and then I'm gonna get, maybe it gives me some time to think about it. I've seen some pretty nasty humerus fractures. Um, I feel like you probably know the terminology, Luke, where you got to make sure the ice cream is still on the cone when you're looking at the x-ray. And the cone and the ice cream are not even in the same room sometimes. I'm just like, how did you do this? I'm so fascinated. And most of the time they're just like, yeah, just like, fell down the last stair at my house and I'm just like your arm separated into two entirely different entities because you slipped down one stair um, it's yeah the humorous fractures always get me and I will say I did look at a our physician was on call and there was a, a mid shaft femur fracture and I think there was like 10 different shards of bone in there. That was pretty crazy. A lot of the, the fractures that we get on call are absolutely wild. So I think those always get me the most. Uh, I've had a, I had a couple shoulder dislocations this past fall. Um, nothing like too crazy, but the first time when like you actually do it and you put your hand like up their jersey and you kind of like feel the humerus like not where it's supposed to be. It's like, oh, okay, like let's go put it in. And then just, like, the clunk, like, the one time, so the one soccer kid that I had did it to his right arm. I couldn't get it back in, like, for the life of me, mainly because he was just freaking out and I couldn't get him to relax. Um, and then luckily, like, after 15 minutes, like, me and one of our assistants, uh, we got it back in. But the second time, it was during a game, and it was his other shoulder, and he's, like, cussing me out on the field. Like, Dan, my shoulder's out. 
come put this back in and I'm like, dude, like I can't come on the field yet. Like I'm just like probably like 20, 25 feet from him. And he's like literally dropping the F bomb at me. Like, I hate you. You're not coming out to save me. And I like ran out. Like I knew exactly what it was. So I got him over the table. And as soon as I dropped his arm, like over the table, just kind of like to let it swing, it just like clunked back in. And I was like, oh, well that was a lot easier than the first time. So, uh, nice. And then we had our we had our sports medicine fellow just kind of look at me like you can do that and I'm like yeah yeah like, it's pretty easy it's a thing athletic trainers do <laughs> gravity, thirty seconds of YouTube yeah gravity is <laughs> yeah. a really cool thing just let it happen <laughs> no, that's fair uh, the only one I can really think of for some reason that popped in my mind I was kind of not necessarily like crazy but it was just a really cool one uh, I was on call for Fourth of July and we had like this younger kid. Um, who just had a Roman candle blow up in his hand. And I'm like looking at this hand and the whole like web space along like his phenar eminence, everything there's just like gone. I mean, you could take his thumb and basically touch his like forearm with it. Like there was just nothing holding it together. And I'm sitting there helping my surgeon, you know, put it back together. When I say helping, I'm just sitting there going, how do you, what do you, like, how do you fix this? What are you doing? And, yeah. And she's just like sitting there like, mm, you know, kind of like looking at it, like it's a little bit of a puzzle placing things back together and like we look at the end and there's just like stitches out of the wazoo in this little kid's hand and it's like kind of pale he's like well it may take it may not but who knows and lo and behold the kid's hand's perfectly fine and i'm just like and, and it's his dominant hand and everything but it was just kind of you know where sometimes somebody tells like their ucl and their feet mm-hmm. and their thumb and you feel like you can just move it forever oh that was like three times worse than that and it was just the weirdest thing in the world of just all right, how do we how do we put that back together? Uh, okay, and I was like four months into working as a PA here, and so that was probably one of the like the coolest, most unfortunate things I've had to obviously deal with because you never want to see something like that happen. But it turned out really well, and I, I looked at I think I just gave her a fist bump after the surgery. I was like, I don't know what you did there. I'm not sure if if there's like a book on that, but that looked cool. You did a great job. Please write a paper on what you just did. <laughs> That should be a case study. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. Oh, God. I would have hated to be there for his hand to blow up. That does yeah. not sound like a good time. No. Like, like, I don't you, think as a parent. Ugh. You just, like, oof, wrap oof. it and send him to the hospital? Yeah, just, like, don't get anything else in it. That's, a, that's another one that I had. <laughs> um, so I was covering – so the way our soccer team works, like – we have a like our main game field, and then we have like a practice grass field like right behind the fence. So, one day I was watching both our guys and girls soccer. I was primarily with the with the guys, but I was watching the girls, and I was just watching guys practice. And I was like, you know, like let me just like walk over and check on the girls practice, because I'm I could still like see all of practice from the game field. And as I'm walking to the grass field, I see this girl just like pull up and like grab her knee, and I'm like did she just blow her knee out? Whatever. Like, she's just like looking at her leg and I'm like, Oh God. So I like run over. I'm like, Hey, are you okay? And she's like laying on the ground and like, she has her hand over her thigh. And I'm like, okay, well it's not her knee. That's good. And then she raises her hand and literally just like a chunk of her quad is gone. Cause apparently, apparently a girl like cleated her and like pulled it down and literally just like a chunk of it is just not, just not there. And I was like, well, um, I just took, like, gauze and, like, packed it, wrapped it up, and I was just like, yeah, uh, we need to get this to go to the hospital, like, right now. But it, like, wasn't gushing blood or anything, which is, like, weird. It was kind of just in, like, that fatty tissue layer. 
mm. which is just like really it was, it was just ugh. it kind of reminds me of actually my very first um injury i dealt with as an athletic training student so i went to a, a washburn's a division two school and we were working our first football game in the fall it was a home game and I was working, I think, the defensive sideline because, like, we, you know, or the defensive mm-hmm. area. So, like, you would take your job, especially as the, the newest member, um, was to do all the things. Like, get water, make sure towels are handed out, all that. And this cheerleader walks up to me with her coach, and there's just, like, blood all over her face. She was one of the bases, and one of the flyers came down and just kicked her on her collar. I can't remember if she kicked her or caught an elbow. And her two, like, front teeth or, like, her first four teeth got shoved back up into her face. I had been an athletic training student for like three weeks. I mean, we did like two a days. That was about it. And she just like, they walk up to me and I'm like, I, I, I have, I have no idea. Like I, what? you know, and she's just like, you can just see like this blood is just like gushing. And it's the point where it, it happened a little bit before that um, it was starting to like get all uh, like clotted. So it was just like, those kind of, cl- I was like, well, this is kind of fun. Is Did I pick the right, right? Do I want to do healthcare? Like I don't know yet. And so I, I spent the whole first half. I don't remember. I don't even remember who we played. I spent the whole first half with one hand holding water to let her kind of take sips out because we were trying to figure out, like, trying to get a hold of somebody mm-hmm. that you know. Do we? Who do we? What do we do? And luckily, one of the people in the stands is a, a, one of the doctors actually in the area. He's a, a graduate. And he happened to be at watching the game, and he was a, a, a ortho or a. a mouth surgeon and he yeah he ended up just saying all right let's just we'll take him to the hospital i'm on i'm technically on call anyways i'll go work on it but uh it was just yeah i had one hand i'm just like holding a cup so she can spit blood out so she didn't get all over the turf uh, and i had like a towel that was just designated for her and that one just like water and that was my first job as an athletic trainer or mm-hmm. athletic training student unless i took care of a cheerleader who just guys you know hit in the face mouth kick she turned out perfectly fine she got to keep them they made her i think she like wore a retainer or something for a while turned out perfectly fine but that was my introduction to hey here's healthcare. expect <laughs> the unexpected yeah Oof. teeth stuff really freaked me out and skin stuff really freaks me out so i feel like that's why i avoided wrestling at all costs i got to my high school and they said we don't do wrestling here and i was like bless up i've been graced by the universe because teeth and skin nasty nasty don't work with kids then they all especially <laughs> when they, they pull a cast off or something oh it's so gross i thought yeah. taping ankles it's like okay you kind of get used to it like the smell mm-hmm. and everything you see a kid who's been in the cast they got a cast wet and they've been in it for like three days after it's been wet blows that out of the water i'm like no can i actually can i go back to taking ankles that smells i'll, I'll take that into the week now give me some feet <laughs> i think actually uh yeah i think i have wrestling this winter so looking forward to it sorry about your luck boo boo i need to uh, <laughs> i need to brush up on my my skin diseases mm. yeah i know You're going to get some antibiotic, but I just don't know which one. Yep, yep. I'm just going to write derm infection and call it a day. (laughs) Hopefully it's on a Tuesday. It happens on a Tuesday or Wednesday when our doc comes. So I can just be like, doc, what do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wrestling. I, that was one. And then, oh, yeah, the the dislocations. They're crazy. I had one kid. He's wrestling. He's like, my ACL is torn at this point. Yeah. I got a state this weekend. 
can I at least finish that, then I'll come back and get it fixed? I'm like, can you wrestle with an 820 ACL? Well, yeah, I grapple a lot. I'll just get, I'll just make sure to use my arms more. I'm like, all right, kid. I mean, it's, it can make it worse, but I, I, what am I supposed to say? No? I, okay. Yeah. That's like the uh, the one wrestler, Spencer Lee from Iowa. He's like, I don't know, like one of the best wrestlers ever. He tore his ACL in the Big Ten Championship and then like went back out and won the match. And then he rehabbed all the time and ended up winning a national title. So it's like, all right. I think remember because he rehabbed. He didn't even get the surgery. Right? Like he still went. Yeah, wrestled. he just rehabbed. Yeah, he still he still wrestled. And I'm pretty sure he already tore his other one. So like he had zero ACLs and he won a national title. <laughs> I think wrestlers are maybe the craziest athletes. Like, if you're willing to sweat yourself down ten pounds on like a regular basis, you got to be crazy. Them versus hockey. I think hockey, but like I'm gonna put my face in front of this puck coming really fast. I don't need teeth. It's fine. Overrated. I would definitely say th- those two. I would like to see wrestlers and uh, hockey players kind of have a, uh, a tough who's tougher. Comp- mm, a head to head. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Luckily, I still wear a cage when I play, so I'm good. Got to keep that pretty mug over there. Yeah, well, I've also had my uh, fair share of teeth injuries. I ran uh, face first into a steel pole when I was 10. So I've had a fair share of dental work done. So my mom's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you are never wearing a half shield. So No more. You know. <laughs> so you're saying if, I, if I'm if i out of my element and I need some, some teeth uh, recommendations, you're the guy to, to send a, call, a text yeah, yeah, message yeah. or call to? Perfect. Dan's dental sagas are extensive extensive <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at sitting in a chair and looking up into a light and just mm. letting someone go to town on my mouth <laughs> <laughs> oh. dan how old were you when you knocked out your teeth on the pole uh like i said i think it was i want to say nine or ten and the funny thing was it was so my parents have like a christmas party every year with like they bring their f- their friends over and whatnot so it was like a half hour before said party was about to begin um so i had like just like my teeth were in like four different directions i had blood coming out i was just like crying all night um luckily i played in a hockey game the very next day um and i was mad because my dad went because i was supposed to have a basketball and a hockey game i only could play the hockey game because my dad was like well you're not wearing a shield when you play basketball so you can't play the basketball game you can play the hockey game though and i was like all right well that works Hmm. hockey's a better sport it's fine for sure definitely definitely uh, I was trying to figure out because I knocked out my front two teeth at Camden Yards tripping up the stairs when I was like four or five. So I was trying to figure out if we were about the same age when we had our traumatic dental experiences, no. but I guess not. <laughs> That's funny. Do you want to go for our standard question? Yeah. Uh, I'll try and lump another question in it with it too. So. Sure. Um, we kind of talked about it, you know, what, what can athletic trainers do to advocate for themselves more in the healthcare system to kind of, again, have that team concept of, you know, working with the, the physicians and the nurses and all that stuff to have, you know, more advocates for themselves? And then just what advice would you have for any athletic trainer, young or old, you know, looking to, you know, stay in the profession or go to PA school? Um, you know, the floor is yours to give any advice. That's something that I've definitely thought about, you know, over the years, especially when I was the debating whether or not I wanted to stay in athletic training because I love athletic training. It's super fun. Like, nothing's more fun than getting to be able to go like, on a sideline or, you know, I, 
when I was at Canisius, they made the NCAA baseball tournament, and I got to fly to Minnesota, and I'm sitting there watching, you know, Division One baseball from a dugout. I joke I have the best seat in the house. You know, I got to drink Gatorade and, you know, listen to all the, all the chatting back and forth. And, but the hard thing is, how do you advocate and how do you push for the profession? And lo and behold, I'm in, as a PA, I'm in the, kind of the same same realm. Like we're actually trying right now to, to go through and change our name to physician associate. And I, I joke with people, I go, I keep picking jobs where it's kind of like a misnomer or like for some reason we keep trying to change the name of, of the profession. But I think athletic training does a pretty good job of it. I think the best way though is still to be able to find people who are willing to go to bat for you that are kind of above, I guess, in a sense, like team physicians um, or, you know, orthopedic surgeons, primary care people. I think that's really the, the biggest area of issue because I think athletic trainers do a great job of getting their name out. You know, I think we, we have a whole month. Like in March, it's, you know, there's always all kinds of things that come through and I think a lot of athletic trainers are really good about being like, I'm an athletic trainer, you know, here's the things that we do. I'm not a personal trainer or, you know, I do, or I just do, I do more than just tape ankles. So I've thought about that of, of what is the best way to help the profession um, become more respected, I guess you could say for, or, or well known that here's the things you're cap- we're capable of. But I don't know if there's anything from an athletic training perspective that you honestly can do more than what we really have done. I think it's really been pushed. I think the social media has helped. You're able to kind of get out there. You're able to really do a lot more. I think a lot of that just comes down to other healthcare professionals have to start realizing how to utilize athletic trainers and the scope of practice and how great it can be. You know, some states I know as an athletic trainer, you can go and you can help on certain and surgeries in some ways, or you mm-hmm. can go, you can even suture, and, and like if a kid gets hit in the face during a hockey game, and you got to throw a couple in there, so that can go back on the ice. You can in an admission. So, I think it's a lot of it is continuing to find like the liaison, and that's kind of like what I guess what I'm trying to do. Is to ha- that's my feeling is. I, I feel like from an athletic training standpoint, the best way for athletic trainers to get respected is for people like me or, you know, an athletic trainer maybe becomes a physician to continue to really validate what athletic trainers do. That's why I continue to push that I was an athletic trainer. I drop it all the time to patients, you know, that, yeah, back when I was in athletic training, here's what we would do. Or just to make sure that they understand, oh, okay. i be like, do you have a high school athletic trainer? Perfect. Go see them. They'll help you rehab, you know, they'll be able, they'll be there for you. Oh, you know, and, and I've actually, I've, I, I try to, I gave my phone number to a couple of the athletic trainers at some of the high schools who I've been seeing some of their patients, I'm like hit me up anytime, you know, here's my email. I'll try to get your patients in as soon as I can. I'll try to help bridge that gap. I try to really push the profession that way. So from that standpoint, I think a lot of it is just, we, you need other members of healthcare whether it's nurses or physicians or PAs or NPs, whoever it is, to just really kind of help push and get out there what athletic trainers do. Uh, Washburn did a really good job of kind of making us go work. We, you know, we have a really big nursing program. We would go work with the nurses and, and do certain things. That way they understood what we did. And that way we understood more what nurses do and how we can help each other. So 
I think just as long as colleges and programs continue to maybe do that, trying to find ways to help get the athletic trainers to kind of go with other outside of like the, you know, PTs, obviously PT in that realm really knows well, but maybe nurses or medical assistants or whoever it is, EMTs maybe. I think that's the best way to kind of do that. Um, and the second part of the question was, uh, sorry. Just what advice would you have for athletic trainers, you know, whether they think about going to PA school or just something to, uh, a little nugget of, of knowledge for the people. I, I'm going to tell you, you have to really love what you do or you have to know what you're getting yourself into. Um, my big thing is I felt like I could maybe do more, which is why I was like, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb, but I feel like maybe I can offer a little bit more than um, kind of what I was doing. And yes, you're going to get paid more, but it's kind of like that old Spider-Man type thing, you know, <laughs> with you take on more, you get more responsibility, you get more stress, you get more liability, more malpractice type stuff. The big thing is know what you want in your life is what I go off of. If you want to have a family of, you know, and have three or four kids and your goal is you want to be there every night, athletic training may be tough unless you find a clinical setting because you may be having a lot of, you know, Tuesday nights or JV games nights, Fridays you're in varsity sports or whatever it is. So you need to know what you want and going the PA route or maybe like a PT route or whatever other kind of advanced degree there's going to be other, everything has its pros and cons. I miss being on a sideline. I miss being in a dugout all the time. I love being in the clinic, don't get me wrong. Um, I get to wear fun shoes and pink scrubs. But there's something about the camaraderie of being in an athletic training room and being on a field or even from a clinic perspective of um, like being in a PT clinic as an AT. There's just something about that that I will never forget. So know what you want. Athletic training is a great profession. Unfortunately, it's still, I think, the salary is still always going to be an issue for a lot of people. Right now, COVID isn't fun. But if you love it, stick with it. If you feel like you want to do a little bit more, that's great. But know that there's still going to be a lot of other things that come with it, including a lot of student love that. <laughs> that's a good one, though. I do like that. Yeah. It's a good way of looking at it. Usually, like, when we started this, like, standardized question, like, we we ask everyone this at the end of our podcast. It's like, oh, like, don't forget to put pre-wrap down before you tape an ankle or don't forget to, like, put ice in or something. Like, but a lot of them have been really good in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of really makes you think about, you know, your profession and kind of what you want in life and, and things like that. So I think it's very helpful to get insight from, from multiple people saying different things like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Before we let you go, Luke, we're going to do a little this or that. All right. Are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) First one, K-State or Rock Chalk? Uh, Neither, Wichita State. Okay. I figured you were going to say it, but (laughs) if you had to pick one, I didn't know. (laughs) If I had to pick one, uh, my little brother goes to K-State, so I'll go go Wildcat Love. That's fair. That's good. Uh, Okay, 7 to 7 day shift or overnight? Ooh, 7 to 7 day shift. Not the most fun thing in the world, but night shifts are tough. Your body, trying to reset your body, brutal. Yeah. It's bad for the system. Some people mm-hmm. like it. I already have bags under my eyes. <laughs> yeah, some people like it, some people don't. So I guess it's just kind of personal preference. All right. 
I feel like the, I know the answer to this. Scrubs or the OG polos and khakis for athletic trainers? Polos and khakis. Oh. They're the best. Really? Oh, I, I joke with people all the time, and uh, oh, I miss the khakis are the, are the best. Like, it's hilarious. Uh, the old uh, State Farm, what are you wearing, khakis? Uh. I joke with people all the time, but nobody here understands my, my like, polo and khakis thing. Mm. It's fun. I don't know. I don't know. We wore scrubs for our cadaver lab, and I was actually quite comfy all the time, so. I thought you were going to say scrubs. No, nah, scrubs are comfortable, but I think if there's just something – I have a fond fond uh, memory of, of always wearing khakis. Mm. I will say I prefer the scrubs for the sheer amount of pockets that I have in my scrubs, particularly my scrub pants. Like, women's khakis are not built with sufficient pockets, but women's scrub pants, so many pockets. It's very useful. That's a pretty valid point. I can't argue that one. All right, last one. Kansas, New York, or Washington? Where are you living for the rest of your life? Where am I living? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Colorado. No. Um, <laughs> probably Washington. Less snow. So mm-hmm. um, I love I love Buffalo. I love Kansas. I always be a Kansas kid at heart. Um, Washington's got it all. I got skiing which is super cool. Uh, we have an ocean close by, pretty good food still. You know, they have sports teams out of the wazoo. I have a lot of college teams, I have pro teams. So I think Washington is it's going to be probably my, my go-to. Out of the three options, I'd pick Washington also. <laughs> I guess I'll be You got a little bias though. You have some family in Oregon, so you, you, I, you've I been do. there, so you understand it. Yes, I think I would have horrible seasonal depression, but I would go in with that mindset and then I could prepare for for the winters. It is tough, though. Even though you try to, it's like, all right, it won't be too bad. And then you get used to, uh, when I, I wake up to go to work, it's dark out in the winter. And I get off work, it's dark out when I go home. So it does make it super tough. Um, but on the bright side, I get to see a lot more sporting events because it's not, like, I'll wake up on a Sunday Football starts at 10 a.m. here instead mm-hmm. of having to wait till like 1 o'clock, you know, if I'm in Asian time zone. So college football, as soon as I wake up, I can have a cup of coffee and I'm watching like a 9 a.m. game. So that's also kind of how it gets me through the, uh, the scaries mm-hmm. here in November, December time. I guess I would join the group and say I would go to Washington as well. I honestly don't, I don't mind the winter. The winter's not terrible. I feel like I could see you as a New York person. I've honestly, well, I mean the city, yeah, definitely not the city, Um, but yeah, like Buffalo wouldn't be a bad area. Buffalo's legit. I will say best food that I've had out of a city, Um, because I have a brother that lives down near Tampa, so I go to Tampa quite a bit, at least once a year. I spend about a week down there, Um, and then out of all the places I've lived, I lived in Chicago for a little bit before um, right out of school or high school. Buffalo. Still hands down, I think Buffalo's got the best food that I've had mm-hmm. as like a city. Best bar food for sure. So you've been to Tampa, so what is your go to pub sub? Oh. Ooh, are we talking like oh. public sub? Yeah, pub the public yeah. sub. You know, honestly, I, I normally don't even get to pick them. Usually we just get like a huge variety pack when we go to the beat to like Siesta Key and all that. Mm. So I usually don't really get a pick. I don't have a big I, unfortunately I don't have one. Although I did get to go to a Tampa Lightning game. Oh, so much fun. 
Oh yeah, they were yeah, playing the Seattle Kraken, lo and behold. So oh, nice. even better. I uh, I spent some time with the Lightning uh, during grad school, like right before COVID, um, and it was awesome. That place is just fantastic. Oh yeah, they had like the Tesla, like Nikola's Tesla thing, where they have the little um, lightning, like shocking thing that just makes all these sizzling noises yeah. for the very beginning. I was like, that is legit. That is yeah, that yeah. is sweet. Not a Lightning fan still, but they tried. They tried hard to win me over with that. I'll always be biased for the Caps, but the Amelie is a, a sick arena to watch a hockey game at. Super fun. Oh, yeah. I definitely need to come out to Seattle and see a game. That place looks awesome. Oh, it's super cool. It is definitely worth it. I had a chance to watch uh, a game. They play the Blackhawks. Super fun. It's a cool, cool area right by the Space Needle and things, but... Climate Pledge is a pretty cool place. If you ever get a chance to, I would recommend going. But I also recommend going to every hockey arena you can. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, Luke. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Like I said, I think it was our first uh, PA on, so mm-hmm. I think yep. you uh, you held up uh, for the for the name pretty well. Okay, good. I was afraid I was going to make you not want to bring any more of us on, so hopefully <laughs> I don't take one for the team and set a bad precedent. So I think you set Definitely the bar rather not. high. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was super fun. And uh, I look forward to listening to more of you guys' podcasts down the road. Yeah. Awesome. Sick. And as always, remember who you are. I make good choices.